Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Of all the things that you want in a relationship, write out who you would need to be to create that, and then do an audit. Are you that? Because if you're not that, how can you expect that or expect a relationship that's going to be like that? It's Violet Benson, your favorite meme queen and the big sis you didn't ask for but need. Welcome to Almost Adulting. Almost adulting. Almost adulting. Are you ready? Hi, besties, and welcome to a brand new episode of Almost Adulting, previously known as Too Tired to Be Crazy with me, your host, your best friend, and the big sister you always wanted, Violet Benson. Honestly, just make me your everything, okay? At this point, I should be your everything. Anyway, if you're currently listening to this episode, welcome. It's a beautiful Thursday, and you have now officially made it through the second week of Mental Health Month. I was like going to say I'm too tired to be crazy on almost adulting. <laughs> you have survived now two weeks. I hope you're enjoying this week of everything about mental health post breakups and just how to prioritize your healing this week with Mark Groves. We're going to have a second amazing episode with him today, part two. It's going to be a little lighter than what you got on Tuesday, but yeah, hope you stay through. If you're just tuning in now and you missed Tuesday, make sure you check out Tuesday's episode. It's called Stop Saying You're Emotionally Unavailable. And in case you missed it, Last week's episode is all about depression and how to deal with that. And next week's episode is even better. No, I'm kidding. This week is pretty amazing. But every week we have something different that has to do with mental health. So I'm really excited. Before we get started with today's episode, I don't mean to get emotional, but we have to start off this little segment off on a really low note. And if you're like, V, how can it be any lower than last week? You were literally crying about your depression. I know, but it can get lower. As you all know, I have been on a real wind romance this past couple of weeks with Jack Harlow, and it's been getting pretty serious, at least on my end. But it has recently come to my attention of two videos of him at the Kentucky Derby this past weekend. They've surfaced, and I feel like I need to get ahead of this controversy, and I need to speak up. So... Don't cry, my babies, but this romance is officially over after seeing those two videos. If you haven't seen the videos I'm talking about, I'm obviously going to post it on my Instagram, but yeah, viewer's discretion is advised. The first video basically shows two men holding him by his shoulders like a toddler, carrying him so his shoes don't get dirty. He looks like a little baby. And the second video of him is just like sitting on this railing, trying to dance while holding onto the railing with both of his hands. And like, he literally, again, looks like a child. So after seeing those videos of him, and plus, I feel like he's been lately overhyped, obviously due to our relationship, I've decided that it's time for me to break it off. I'm a peacock and you got to let me fly. (laughs) $10 to anyone that knows where that saying is from. 
but it's time for me to move on. So if you happen to know Jack Harlow personally, if you can please bring it up to him and let him know that it's over. Obviously, he's going to try to deny the whole thing, but clearly it's because losing me is going to hurt him so much. And I understand, but guess what? His next album is going to be amazing going through the breakup and the heartache with me. So honestly, as usual, you're welcome, guys. (laughs) As usual, I'm doing you guys a favor. So it's time for us to say goodbye to the Jack Harlow saga. If you're like V, I'm still not over him. I don't care. Okay, you do this for me. (laughs) We are moving on. We are letting him go. He's overhyped and it's over between us. I don't love him anymore and I'm ready to love someone new. I'm ready. My heart is ready. So I'm ready for us to crush over someone new. So if you guys want to pitch some names in the DMs and let me know who's the next person I should fall in love with, please be my guest and let me know. We need a new boy to obsess over on this podcast. Anyway, speaking of pop culture, this pop culture segment is going to be all about babies. And this makes sense since this past weekend was Mother's Day. If you guys have been following my Instagram stories on Viola Benson, I have been struggling to buy my mother something. I don't know how your foreign mothers are, but mine is hilarious. Her birthday falls around the same time as Mother's Day. So I was like, let me go big. I decided to buy her a YSL bag, a $3,000 YSL bag, because she deserves it and she's the best. Would I ever buy myself a bag for $3,000? No, I wouldn't, and I don't own one. But for my mother, it's a different story. One time I was doing really, really well financially, and I bought her a $7,000 Chanel bag. She's just my mother and she deserves it. And I owe everything I have to my parents. And obviously my dream is to take care of them and be there for them. And it makes me feel good to give things for my parents. You know, my biggest goal, obviously, is to buy them a house. So anyway, I decided to buy her a YSL bag. And if someone's like, that's so overpriced, blah, 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 whatever. That's my love language is gifts. Because obviously I didn't grow up with any other type of love growing up. <laughs> well, my father at least. So I've spent over $3,000 on a YSL bag for my mother, a big one and everything. And I thought she'll be excited. And I said, Mama, happy birthday and happy Mother's Day. And she said, Violetta, where am I going to wear this bag? To the grocery store? What am I going to do with this? Return it. So if you understand my really poor Russian accent, she said, Violetta, where am I going to wear this to? The grocery store? Where else do I go? Violetta, return it now. And I said, okay. I'm not going to give up though. So then I said, okay, she doesn't want a bag because it's going to hurt her shoulders. I'm stupid, stupid me, but my dad won't get a housekeeper even if I pay for it because he doesn't like to have other people in the house. So my mom (laughs) is the one that still cleans the house. I know. Wonderful. So I said, I know I have a Dyson vacuum. It's supposedly the best one out there. I'm going to buy her one that's even nicer than mine. That's even more expensive. She's going to love it. I bought my mother a vacuum. I gave it to my mom and guess what she said? She said, Violetta, what am I going to do with this vacuum? You already bought me two other vacuums. Did you forget? Violetta, now I have three. What am I going to do with this? So she was correct. I have bad memory, very short-term memory. I already bought her two other vacuums in the past. So I returned it. So then I said, you know what? Let me buy her a hairdryer from Dyson. That works. Dyson's still epic. I bought her hair dryer from Dyson. She said, Violetta, I just bought hair dryer two weeks ago. And I said, okay, mom, but this is like, she goes, Violetta, I spent $30 on this hair dryer. It's the best. And I go, mom, this hair dryer from Dyson, it's $500. Everyone uses it. They rave about it. You should have it. And she's like, Violetta, why? I bought one. 
And she's like, you keep it. And I go, what am I going to do with a $500 hair dryer? No way. I'm returning it. So I returned it too because I don't know how to blow dry my hair and I'm not spending $500 to figure it out. So I returned it. So then I said, wait, my mom loves to go to the grocery store. I got it. She always talks about bread. That's all she buys at the grocery store. Duh. I'm going to buy her that toaster that everyone raves about on TikTok. It's like $200 toaster. It has like buttons that you click on. And it's very high-end, high-tech. I bought her the toaster. I said, Mom, there's a surprise at your door. Open it. She goes, what am I going to do with this? Violetta, I, I bought the bread maker. I don't need toaster. And my dad, and then you hear my dad in the background. Sto? Another gift? Come on. <laughs> Stop. Stop buying us gifts. I'm sick of returning all of them. <laughs> so, in conclusion... <laughs> I bought my mother nothing. I just kept returning it. So if you guys had any tips of what to get my mother to make her happy, that would be great. But I guess at this point, I already kind of bought her everything and she has everything. But I love her. I just want to make her happy. So that's my little pop culture segment about me. But speaking of children and being a mother, Post Malone is about to be a father. <laughs> so I actually didn't even know he was seeing anyone. But apparently he's been in a serious relationship for a while now. And he's clearly done a really good job of keeping his relationship private, which honestly, that's probably why they're still together. So he seems super excited to become a dad and I couldn't be happier for him. That's really cool. He's like probably one of the few people in Hollywood that keeps his relationship a secret as he should because that's how they've remained successful. Also with Mother's Day this past weekend, we are all reminded yet again that there's a, <laughs> like a real possibility that Kylie Jenner still has not named her second kid yet. <laughs> so for whatever reason, he was absent from any Mother Day posts she made that kind of gives it away, the thought that maybe she hasn't named him, that's why. So I don't know about all of you guys, but I know Heather has been dying to know his name. I personally don't care, but Heather's really into this. Heather, my podcast manager. So the longer Kylie is keeping us waiting, the crazier the theories have been getting on Instagram, on TikTok, which, by the way, our favorite theory of the podcast has been that people are claiming that his name is supposedly Carrot with a K because of her Easter decorations. I don't know. I personally feel like that even Kylie wouldn't do that. No way. Wait, is Carrot Top a real name or was that his nickname? I sound really stupid. I'm, I feel like that was probably a nickname. You know, when I first came to America, <laughs> I sound really foreign. When I first came to America, I was hanging out with some friends and they didn't want to go somewhere because they're like, oh my God, that place is in Buffalo. And they kept saying that. And I go, wait, I'm so sorry, but why would someone name a location, a place, Buttfuck? That's so weird. And everyone was like, obviously you're an idiot because you're foreign, but not because I'm foreign, just you're an idiot and you're foreign. They're like, that's not a real place. It's just a saying. So maybe that's the same with Carrot Top and I completely missed that. Anyway, in other news, singer Sam Hunt, which I could not name you once of his songs, but I'm pretty sure I know them, and his pregnant wife have apparently decided to work it out and stay together. Also, I had no idea he had a wife. <laughs> I had no idea she was pregnant, and I had no idea they were separating. But for someone out there that cared, just FYI, a few months ago, Sam's pregnant wife, Hannah, filed for divorce. I'm pretty sure we can all guess why she probably filed for divorce if she was pregnant, still filing for divorce. But then she called it off and refiled for divorce the same day, but in a different country. Okay, that's like already feels like a roller coaster with her. Then the news broke earlier in the week that again, she called it off completely. 
the couple is apparently quote unquote doing their best. I'm assuming is because it was just around tax season and they figured that it's better for their taxes to stay together than be separate. <laughs> that's just my assumption. But of course, we all hope that's the truth and they're really going to want to make it work. But it has been rumored, I got it right, I guessed it, that his infidelity potentially could be the reason for the split in the first place. Yeah, no shit. Why else would a pregnant woman decide to divorce her husband in the middle of pregnancy? So hopefully they figure it out and they work it out. Best of luck to Sam Hunt and his pregnant wife. I'm wishing you guys the best from me and the family at Almost Adulting. Now, if you're wondering why I've been so giggly, it's because I'm trying to uplift your mood before we get to another serious episode. That's a thinker on today's podcast episode, all for Mental Health Month. So again, this week was all about prioritizing your healing. And today is part two of healing post-breakup with Mark Groves, aka Create the Love. Enjoy. Love you, besties. Both of my parents are heroes and completely different reasons. And it's still interesting to me sometimes to even watch my parents or my sister. I think it's cool the fact that I never stop getting to know them and they're my family mm. they've been around forever and i think you will do the same thing with your partner where you're constantly discovering new things about them like my sister will have moments where she'll get insecure and i'll look at her and i'll just be like wait what because I, I look at my sister as my older sister so wise so smart perfect and they'll throw me off and i'll be like right she's human like i'm still getting to know her my own sister yeah. isn't that beautiful i love yeah it. it reminds us that we never know someone fully and that actually is what keeps the adventure alive in relationship. You will never fully know your partner because they are always changing. And the belief yeah. that we do know them and that nothing has changed because we stop being curious about their own transformation and maybe our own, because of that, we believe that they're boring. I'm not saying that your partner can't be boring because they're not doing new shit. But if we just step to more curiosity of wanting to get to know them and ourselves, I think it would really change the way that we look at relationships. Yeah, I think when you stop being curious about your partner, that's when it's bad. That's when agreed. you know there's something wrong. Yeah, agreed. Wow, this was really deep. Okay, one question <laughs> that I think a lot of people ask me is basically when they're dating someone for a minute, the person is not looking for anything serious and it doesn't work out with them because they never want a relationship. And then a month or two later, they see that person with a new partner and boom, they're in a relationship, they're loving or like, you know, engagement, whatever it is. And you're kind of like, what the hell happened? Is it me? Is it them? It, did I overlook the red flags? Like, how is that possible that with me, they didn't want something with them, they did? Well, I even think of how we look at that through the lens of I wasn't enough, right? That's generally how we look at that. And now they're with this new fucking person and I checked out their Instagram and that person ain't shit. You know, like we're looking at it thinking, why were they enough? Why now will they commit? There's a few things there. One, the lens and how we're looking is shaping our own belief about ourselves. But the second part is like even the belief that something's different. Maybe they're the same person as we were who didn't honor what we truly wanted. Like if you're looking for a relationship and you're fucking around with someone who doesn't want one, you're not listening. And the very truth is whether they're ready for a relationship or not, if they're telling you they're not, they don't want one with you. With you. I think that's right. the emphasis. With you. And we don't even know that anything changed with this new person. It just might be that they're a match vibrationally, energetically, wound-based connections. They might just be a better match for whatever that person's trying to work through. But 
this person is a perfect match for us too, to realize where we place our worth, to realize where we sell our ass out. Because if you're looking for a relationship, one of the qualifiers for your person is that they're looking for one too. That's simple. Like that's so simple. But when we're taught that getting in a relationship is the ultimate goal, and we're trying to run away from the feelings of aloneness, then we will accept whatever we're presented with. If we don't believe that what we actually want will show up, we'll accept whatever's showing up. And that's such a piece of learning. That's really good. I like that. <laughs> well, <laughs> it like gets me revved up when someone like someone gets broken up with and they say, but they were the one. And I'm like, well, first off, no, they weren't. Because if they were the one, they'd want to be in a relationship with you. Make the qualifier of the one. Don't even have just one because they could just be the one that taught you that you do that. But really see that the qualifier of the people that you have as a hell yes, have you as a hell yes. If they don't have you as a hell yes, they're not a hell yes for you. That's got to be a qualifier. I get very passionate about this part. Yeah, and I get passionate about the part where people is like, oh, well, it was bad timing. Sometimes it's like the right person, bad timing. And I always say, no, everyone you meet is the right time. You met them exactly right. when you were supposed to meet them because you were supposed to either be a lesson or your partner. You're going to keep breaking up till you meet your person. And there may actually be a few people in your life, but like you meet everyone exactly when you were supposed to meet them because you're both were supposed to go through whatever it is you were supposed to go through. And it's up to you what to choose to learn something from it, to take something from it, or to be in your brain thinking like, well, if only we would have met when I would have done <laughs> yeah. this and this, like, but you didn't. And can you become the person who does that now, not to get them, but to get your person, right? Like, yes. That's the real catch. We often say, I regret that I didn't do the thing that would have kept this person, that I wasn't the type of person that I cheated, that I lied, that I didn't have this skill, that I didn't have a boundary, that I smothered them, whatever it is. But in the regret, which really becomes a prison, because what we're hoping back for is that moment or another chance, is we're missing all of the people who could be showing up right now for that new version of us that hasn't integrated the lesson. And yeah. when your person shows up, you won't give a shit what their name is. You won't give a fuck if they're your ex. You'll care that they're the person who meets you while you're looking forward and you're focused on who you are and you're focused on respecting and honoring yourself. So then how do I choose myself and stop chasing someone that isn't choosing me back? By stopping chasing someone who isn't choosing you back. <laughs> That's how you choose yourself. Because That seems too this, easy. <laughs> right? Like in the stop chasing is the space where you move from the tango to the salsa and there's a space on the dance floor where you don't trust that the new person's going to come. So you might accept any fucking tango. You'll have the perfect coconut oiled, abbed up, bootied up test in the tango to see if you're going to go back and be the old pattern. And you might. And that's okay. But make sure you learn that you just got left on the dance floor again because you chose to be on the old dance floor, not because they brought you there, but because you chose. And then you get to say, I'm actually committed to the salsa. And then <laughs> that's all you show up for. Anything less than that is not in your orbit. And you'll notice that the tango stops showing up because you stop being there for it. Yeah. How do I deal with a relationship where I feel like I can't openly share my emotions with my partner? There's a couple qualifiers here. One, it might actually be true that it's not actually emotionally safe for you to share. 
So if the relationship is not a space where both of you are creating that as an agreement, that this is a space where we honor the sacredness of each other's feelings. And we're going to learn how to cultivate that. We're going to learn how to build the skills to be able to hear each other share feelings. A lot of us don't know how to do that without taking responsibility for them and without actually taking someone's feedback as determining our self-worth. Like if I have tender self-worth and you tell me that I could show up better, I'm likely going to get defensive or want to withdraw from you because I don't know how to hear what you're saying. As opposed to hearing what you're truly saying is, there's a better version of you available. There's a better behavior available. If I start to see you as giving me feedback, which makes me a better person, then I'm going to value the feedback that you give me. The other side is that often, if it's never been modeled for us to have emotional safety, to share our feelings, it's never been safe, then we will say and co-create a relationship that doesn't have that. We won't share and we won't trust that our partner can hold those feelings. And so what we do is we never share. So we live in a place where we can never share and it's not safe. And we also never allow our partner to build the skill set to hold those feelings. And we also ourselves never have to become the person who shares them. So it looks like it's their fault. And it's also ours because again, we're never actually becoming the person who would create the type of relationship we're seeking. So again, it, it sort of requires that high level of self-responsibility. And I want to mention that all of this is separate from spaces of abuse. In spaces of right. abuse, uh, yeah. you got to go. You got to find a way out. You got to find support and you got to get out. There's no enough self-work that's going to make someone who is abusive change. Yeah, of course, like one thing people have to realize all this advice is always very general advice because a lot of times I think I'll even post something and people will be like, well, that's not true because in my situation, this, yeah, I'm like, yeah. right, well, I don't know not you. Not in a relationship and with a psychopath. Is, Nothing in a relationship with a narcissist. And it's like, this is not about you. Like this is as general as it gets. <laughs> it's important qualifier, yeah. <laughs> How are you able then to recognize when someone's not right for you? Because I think sometimes we're like, well, relationships take work or I'm still they getting do. to know this person. So at what point are you like, wait, is this person right for me? How are you able to recognize it? Well, when you're young and you're choosing relationships from a space of not really understanding that, you know, we're talking about this dance with unavailability and ourselves being unavailable. We don't really recognize that we're doing that till we recognize it. You know, and it's often a breakup that wakes us up to that or just painful dating patterns that become frustrating. It is not until we actually stop and start asking questions about how we relate. So how do you know someone's right for you? Well, the first thing I would always say is become the type of person that would create the type of relationship you want. Because if you do that, like relationships, in my opinion, should all share common agreements. And some common agreements would be we mutually respect each other, we're kind to one another, and we're committed to learning how to communicate better. We treat each other and ourselves with reverence. Like if I personally value boundaries, I will value my partner's boundaries. I will hear a boundary from my partner and although it might influence, I might be like, ooh, that's hard. I still am like, oh, I have deep respect for the fact that they love me enough to tell me that, you know, that they care about us enough. So. The right person, it's hard to place it on something that is like they're either right or wrong. It's to say, write a list out of all the things that you want in a relationship. Write out who you would need to be to create that and then do an audit. Are you that? Because if you're not that, how can you expect that or expect a relationship that's going to be like that? So there's a high level of self-responsibility. 
The other side of it is... Wait, that's really cool. I love that. Like, not just writing a list of what you want a partner, you write a list of who you need to be to attract yeah. this type of partner. And suddenly you're like, wait, I need to be more available if I want someone available. That's really cool. That's interesting. You have to be in integrity with your own list because you can't ask someone else to be something you're not. That's bullshit. That's such bullshit. And you can't expect it. First off, the universe is going to be like, fuck you. I'm not giving you that. You ain't shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, you got to show up. Abraham Hicks has this line where she says, whenever you wish for something, like the ultimate relationship, the universe will organize everything you need to heal and understand and grow to create that. And so the unavailability will come forward. All the patterns that we have will come forward to create it. And that's where, as you were saying earlier, we have to understand and recognize that all relationships are a gift. They're all a lesson. They're all building what you want in relationship. The other side too that I think is important for people to realize too is like, because a question I often get is like, how do you know if you should stay or go? What a complex question with so many layers and really far too complex to bring down to a simple one sentence thing. But what I would say is that there's two questions that I think are important to just sit with. One is if this person changed everything that you want them to change, would you want them? And if the answer is no, then it's probably not the relationship for you. The second one is, do you actually like them? Like, do you actually admire and respect who they are? Do you have admiration for their values and their, you know, the way they show up to the world? If you don't, probably not the right person for you. And do you like who you are with them? Ooh. And the last one, I know I'm now at four, but whatever. The last it. one is, is staying or going, abandoning yourself. So is leaving the relationship, abandoning yourself. And so if we're avoidant, that's often true. It's not always true, but it's often true. Or is staying, abandoning myself. Again, I don't want to simplify that process. But what I would say is there's a great book called Too Good to Leave, Too Bad to Stay. And it's a fantastic exploration of, I think, 38 or 40 questions. And the woman is a therapist. And she talks about not just what the science says, but actually what her experience was in clinical practice. And it's such a beautiful book. So I recommend that to everyone. But even the answers to the questions I just asked would really inform us. And so often we stay with people because we believe we have to. We stay with them because we made a choice and we believe that commitment means till death do us part. And I'm not saying it sometimes doesn't mean that, but what death? Literal death or the death of the part of us that chose them when we chose them. And that's really important to sit with because if you're 18 or 21 and you got married, who you want when you're 42 might be very fucking different. Yeah. And can we allow ourselves the privilege of aging and not wanting something anymore. You're allowed to change what you want and you're allowed to change what you choose and you're allowed to change who you are. Yeah, that is the scariest thing about humans in general is that people are allowed to change their mind at any time. But it also goes to friendships. It's another thing that no one ever discusses. The same thing in relationships where you've right. been friends for 20 years and you've outgrown each other. You know it. You don't really get along or you feel terrible about, your, <laughs> right. about yourself every time you're together. But yet you can't let go because you're like, well, we've been friends for so long and you just have to kind of process like you're not a bad person if you're ready to walk away because... 
it just doesn't bring anything to your life anymore. Like you've outgrown each other. It's hard to, it's hard to accept it. It's very hard. It's sad, you know, and you have to process the grief of letting go of something and the space that it creates, you know, and that's what alignment is all about is learning. How do I let go of parts of me that don't align? It's like if you were to quit an addiction, you know, let's say you do drugs all the time and you quit Hell doing yeah. drugs, Just kidding. right? <laughs> let's say, yeah, let's say you love that Coke. Either way, if you decide to stop drinking or stop doing drugs, the community that you keep likely still does drugs. And so one of the hardest things to do is to move on from that because there's a feeling of not belonging. And often the people still stuck in the addiction will shame the person for making the choice to move on because there's a part of them that wants to too. And they're afraid that they're not choosing it. So they try to keep the other person small and in the old decisions. And what a thing to grieve, to grieve the old part of ourselves, to grieve the life we had, to grieve the fun that we had, to grieve the connections. But we're always inviting the other people to move on to more conscious, more expanded, more healed versions of themselves. And that requires us continuing to move forward. That's actually reminds me of years ago when I was on and off with my ex, we were like together on and off for seven, eight years. And I remember one time he was always smoking weed. He was one of those people that just functions really well, but he smokes throughout the day. Like he just needs that. And one day he decided he wanted to quit. And when he quit weed for a minute, he suddenly was like, hey V, you know, I've been thinking and now that I have a clear mind, I don't think we're right for each other. We're very toxic and I think we should break up. And I was like, what? No, babe, why don't you smoke again? Like what's happening? And I was like, what the hell? And it was just like the minute you stop smoking, you realize that like how toxic we are and how incompatible. And I was just like, I feel like you're rushing. Like, can you just have a blunt and relax? That we, do you want me to light that J for you? Let me get a light. <laughs> it was just so funny once he was like more yeah. in a better headspace. He was like, we should break up. And I was like, let's not. Because <laughs> I'm enjoying this. How long did it take from that moment till you broke up? We were so on and off. We probably broke up. And then we got back and together. Got back to <laughs> like, for, like right after. You know, it was just so like back and forth, back and forth. Okay, so how do I begin to take responsibility for the role that I play in not having the relationship that I want? It would be the awareness of the pattern. So what is my pattern? And if I don't want to repeat the way I'm dating or the people I'm attracting or the relationships I find myself in and who I am being, then having awareness of it is the first part. But awareness without responsibility is nothing. It's just useless knowledge. And knowledge becomes wisdom when it's integrated. So awareness and then action. And it's a commitment. It's a commitment to what you want to create has to be more important than staying comfortable. And you know, I remember when I was first starting doing my work, someone said to me, you can be committed to your dreams or your excuses, but you cannot be committed to both. You have to choose. Wow. Yeah, and that one kicked me right in the nuts. I remember <laughs> just being like, oh wow, like you have to choose. I think love matters enough generally that we are almost, almost, motivated to get into uncomfort, the discomfort of new decisions and new patterns. We often won't do it for a lot of other things, but we will mostly do it for love. Eventually we will, but sometimes it takes the repeated pain of a pattern or as we started off with, the awareness of our mortality will actually be one of the greatest motivators too, because it is 
pain in relationship actually reminds us of death. And what I mean mm. by that is the death of the relationship, the true feeling of impermanence. That's what really love is this fleeting thing, not in a fleeting thing that escapes you, but that you get this brief time, whatever amount of years it is on this planet, to be able to share yeah. connection. And one of the hardest parts about love is as you love someone, you're also experiencing the loss of them. The loss of them? Yes. As you love someone, the more your heart opens, the more you are unconsciously signing up for what it might feel like to lose them because all love, all relationships end. Aww. They either end by you dying, they end by them dying, or they end by both of you dying, or they end by the relationship actually ending. So all love actually, and what makes love most beautiful is the grief that is accompanied with the possibility of losing it. Oh. And that's actually what makes love valuable because you said earlier, people are always changing and they could choose to change at any time and they could choose somebody else at any time. Well, just in knowing that truth, which no one can deny because that's just a fact, is actually where we can experience gratitude for the fact that out of everybody in the world, they choose me and I choose them. I think there's something so beautiful also about that, the choosing part, because especially the anxious attachment style people get so scared of losing someone that they hold tighter, which actually makes the person want to run away faster. But I think if you really just admire humans and let them be who they are meant to be, there's something so beautiful that every single day of all the people in the world, they choose right. you. But the day that they don't is also beautiful because then you get to choose yourself and walk away. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. A million times yes. And to the person who is anxious, who is terrified of actually sitting in the space of rejection and abandonment, that's actually the way out is go into it. Grieve the rejection you've experienced. Grieve the abandonment you've experienced because you got to. Because all you'll do is choose relationships to never have to feel that or to keep recreating it so you have to feel it. And for avoiding people, it's actually going into the space of grieving, having lost yourself or having to take care of other people's feelings. Grieve the fact that you've not had a self. Yeah, and based on everything I've learned from this conversation today, I would say my answer to how do I begin to take responsibility for the role I play of not having the relationship I want, like A, yes, is the repeating patterns, but I thought it was so beautiful what you said earlier about the fact that you have to also make that list, what you're looking for in a partner, if you're also able to, to be those things. So like, you know, it's kind of like who you have to be to get the partner that you're looking for. So a lot of times I think we're just sitting there and, and kind of like, well, this person's not doing this and this. Well, are you? So it's kind of the same work and I didn't realize that before. So I feel like that was really helpful from what you've said. So I think that's another way to take responsibility. Thank you is where am I that person? That I, right. that I would want to date. And the last part is that, based on what we were talking about, is the emotions and the sadness. Because I know for me, the smallest moments where I feel sadness or fear of abandonment, whatever, is where I'm like, well, I'm clearly not in the relationship that I want. This person's not for me versus like, oh, I just have to just sit in those emotions because sometimes it's going to get uncomfortable. But the whole point is I'm at, we're going to get through this or we won't. 
and that's okay too but i think that's hard for me to process because we just expect everything to be rainbows and then the minute we're experiencing something we don't like about that person we're like well clearly i'm the relationship i don't want like this isn't for me and we blame the other person versus like yeah there's going to be things you may not love about that person yes but i think somebody told me this a long time ago is that every day you wake up and you ask yourself in life in general whatever it is but every morning you say is this enough for me And then every morning when you wake up, the answer is yes, then you will get through this and this will be enough. If one day you wake up and you say, you know what? No, this is enough for me. So that's when you make that decision. Do I walk away? Do I have a discussion first and work it out? Is it workable? If not, then I'll leave. But that's how you, I think, I believe in a lot of ways you're able to take responsibility for yourself is when you make that decision. Is this enough? Because then you're not able to then feel resentful that the other person's not giving you enough, blah, blah, because you said this morning this was enough for you. So why are you acting resentful? But if it's not enough, then it's you walk, you know? It's your choice. Yeah, and you said too, like, if the relationship doesn't work, that's actually not indicative of whether you succeeded. The success is in who you're becoming along this journey. Relational outcomes are separate from our self-worth. It doesn't mean that we can't be responsible for relational outcomes. Like if I cheat and then I know that I'm part of the contributor to that relational outcome, what a beautiful thing to recognize about myself that I cheat sometimes maybe because I want to push people away, maybe because I actually wanted to leave and that was the only way I knew to leave, maybe because I don't love myself, maybe because I actually believe deep down that I'm a bad person and this is what bad people do. Like what a gift to learn and recognizing that we often place how we feel about ourselves in our relationship working or not. But what happens if like it not working is actually because it didn't work. So it's exactly what needed to happen. Yeah. And then it puts you on the path to find someone to make it work with. What a beautiful thing. You know, I hear yeah. people who are like 65 say, 70, 55. Well, it's too late now. I don't need to change. I don't need it. Bullshit. Let's imagine you live to 85 and you're 60. You got 25 fucking years of mediocrity. No. You know, it's even like when people are in their 70s. I don't need to change. It's too fixed. Bullshit. You could change at any moment. You could change at any time. There, you know that saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Yeah. There used to be a show. I don't know. It's not still around, but it was called Mythbusters. And they used to take myths like that and prove them right or wrong. <laughs> and you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It's actually a myth. You can teach old dogs new tricks. And I think really? it's the same of humans. Yeah, they'll learn how to lay down, roll over. They'll learn how to do all the things. And we just have these beliefs that once we get to a certain age, things are fixated. Sure, we might be more rooted, like the neuropathways are much more founded, right? They're much more ingrained. A new way of being is scary and a lot different. But it's also where all adventure lives. It's where all the juice of life lives is in actually the space of this balance of familiar and unfamiliar. And a lot of us get used to the normality of familiar and you know life sometimes has to hurt enough to make us want to change and that doesn't have to be true you know most of us wait to change when we have to change but there will come a time when you realize that you can just choose to change life can just be not as you said you wake up in the morning is this what i want and you get to decide is it who would you need to be to keep it yeah that's important who would your partner need to be What would you say some healthy coping mechanisms are for someone that's currently going through a rough patch in their life? Meditation, healthy diet. They would call these anchors. So these are anchors, behaviors that when we're going through change, when we're going through challenging times, 
they're actually really healthy coping mechanisms. Often, though, we throw them out the window the moment that change is happening and we go to coping mechanisms like drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever it might be. And I'm not saying you can't go do those things if you want to. I have no judgment about it. What we know is that getting to know yourself, using pain and challenges as a way to use that energy to transform and become who you actually are, reclaim who you are, remember who you are, do that through good food, exercise, meditation, cold plunges, cold showers, getting sober. Sobriety through transformation is one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself because you get to experience the feelings that we're hiding below whatever the addiction or treatment is. And Gabor Mate says, the wrong question is why the addiction? The right question is why the pain? A hundred percent. I agree with that. Like whenever I'm experiencing my lowest, I always make sure that I completely don't touch any type of substances at all, Same. including overeating or anything, any, any habits that I have that help me cope with something. And I just have to feel those emotions because like, how did they say the only way through it, the only way to get over it is through it or something like that the gift in the pain is in the way through the pain is in the pain the gift of the pain is in the pain it's roomy i think i yeah. can't remember the quote <laughs> but it's it's a beautiful quote let's say two people worded this agreement and quickly decide like you know i don't know how to sit in this frustration with the other person even though i really like them and they decide to like walk separate ways or whatever like what advice would you give to someone that wants to mend a broken relationship with someone like how do you even get back to starting over let's say we want to work things out with someone that we've had conflict with maybe let's just say put it in the context of romantic relationship because that's probably the context you listening or thinking of or a friend who's gone through that who wants to get back together with an ex who maybe just had a conflict and it blew up first off in relationships if we're in like a long-term relationship or and long-term can be defined however you want to define it but the intention is long-term you can never have the relationship on the line in conflict so as soon as someone says that's it this is over every time there's a fight there's actually no psychological safety in conflict that's not healthy because what it says is every time there's conflict, I might leave you. And that is how I control there never having to be conflict. And so the other person then stops bringing conflict forward or complaints because you might leave. And so there's no psychological safety. That is a challenging thing for people to navigate through. Oh my, because, oh my God, it sounds like me. Great, kill me. <laughs> what, a, <laughs> what a good thing to be aware of because we have to recognize what we're really trying to do is we don't know how to sit with conflict or other people's emotional experience and not try to take responsibility for it or not get engulfed by it or enmeshed by it. The other side is that I don't believe in the idea of starting over as words and I don't mean to dismiss it. I just think language is so important. So I think of it more as continuing because in order to continue, you have to actually acknowledge what has occurred and repair what has occurred. You know, it's like if there's infidelity in a relationship, sometimes people feel guilty for leaving and sometimes people feel guilty for staying. It doesn't matter what you choose to do. What matters is, did you repair it? Is there atonement? Like, is the person actually repairing the violation of trust? So it doesn't have to be infidelity. It could be anything. Is there repair? Is there responsibility? And is there changed behavior moving forward? And we likely, if there's been violations of trust, which can just be in communication too, 
then we're likely going to have to each time put deposits in our relational bank account, especially when there's been a big withdrawal. And each one is actually saying, okay, trust is coming back. Trust is coming back. If we're the one who broke the trust, the other person has to write to ask for whatever they need for the trust to be reinstated. And you also have the right to reject what they ask, but you don't have the right to invalidate what they ask. And if you're the one asking, you're valid in whatever you need to rebuild the trust. Because often we say, let's, if it's infidelity, I need you to not be in a relationship or communicate with that person anymore. I need to be able to see your phone, your Instagram, your whatever. Ugh, that's a lot. And that is the price of infidelity. If you don't want to do it, then that's what the other person needs to repair. If you don't want to do it, you have the right to not do it, but you don't have the right to gaslight it. But if you say yes, then the other person, that's, that's the biggest problem a lot of times when you do forgive someone that cheated on you. If you say yes, then you have to let it go because now you've entered into a new chapter in your life. You've forgiven this person because now you're back with them and you have to trust them. And the trust, I think that's the hardest part because then you end up staying together and you're bitter that this person cheated on you. And now totally. you, it's hard for you to trust them. So now both of your lives are miserable because not only are you miserable every day because you're like in high anxiety every day if you, they don't talk to you. Why are you in the bathroom for so long like who are you texting mm -hmm. what's happening so you're not happy every single day and then they're miserable because you're making them miserable so i think that's a big thing when it comes to staying with someone that cheated on you they can't be the bad guy once you forgive them sorry they're not the bad guy anymore because you agreed to stay with them it's the truth though you have to move forward and i've been the one cheated on i've never been the one that cheated so i'm also saying it from that perspective but i also have a problem with always trying to take the blame for everything to work on myself so i don't know but anyway the point <laughs> is that eventually you make everyone miserable and then the person that cheated on you eventually a lot of the time ends up walking away so that makes you feel even more shitty you know because you're like you're supposed to work for my trust and all that but they're like i can't do this anymore like you are too obsessive you're suffocating me it's too much so like i'm not saying a cheater will always cheat but you have to be very strong to stay after your trust being broken like that but you can't punish someone every single day for what they've done to you if you've forgiven them and the way you forgive them is by staying with them i agree with some of that the first part i would say is that you don't forgive them the moment you decide to stay that's not forgiveness forgiveness is earned trust is rebuilt you don't trust them the moment you decide to stay Trust has been broken, so trust must be restored, and trust is restored through transparency. So the idea that if I need to see, let's say I was cheated on, I need to see your phone, I need to see who you're interacting with, because I don't believe you, because you lied, right? So that's actually a fair request, if that's what I need. I'm not making you miserable. You feel miserable because the cost of your choices is actually making you feel shame and you can either feel that shame and let it transform you or you can put it on me and say it's because I'm monitoring you that you don't feel any feelings and you're making me miserable and want to leave. No, you feel miserable because you've been a miserable person. Oh. And I'm not saying that someone who cheats is a villain because cheating, chronic cheaters, working it through with them, is. I don't recommend that unless they're seeking deep therapeutic help. But someone who cheats, because often people will cheat because... They want to leave. They don't know how else to get intimacy, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm not minimizing it with my blah, blah, blah. But you don't have to leave a relationship to leave a relationship. And often someone will leave it because the only way they know how to be able to leave is if they pull away so much from intimacy that the other person cheats. Again, 
None of this is validating any behaviors because as soon as you talk about infidelity, everybody gets triggered, especially anyone who's been cheated on. Not me. So <laughs> the, first th the first thing I'd say is that they're not the villain. And this is totally different if you're dating a narcissist or a sociopath. And if you want to work through it, there has to be the restoration of trust. There can be the weaponization of the cheating. Like two years later, it's like, what about when you cheated with Samantha? You know, whatever it is. You never let it go because it still hasn't been repaired. We still don't trust. And perhaps we keep self-abandoning and we keep letting bullshit behavior slide. But it just means that there isn't a deep level of trust of self or other still. And that's a journey. I mean, I would always recommend that someone seek therapy or coaching to work through that together because if you really want to because a lot of times when people work through cheating the other person's still cheating you know like they're they have to both be committed to moving through it yeah i guess i i see your point of view i understand where you're coming from it's kind of like you guys figuring out whatever you need to do to make your partner feel safe i think for my issues of losing my independence I, in a, a sense, accidentally made it about me, even though the cheating conversation has nothing to do with me. So for me, I felt suffocated just by thinking of someone like going through my phone and doing all these things. I was just like, no thanks. This is making me miserable versus like, no, it's about partnership and you're making your partner feel safe from a mistake that you've done. I know me personally, I can't say with someone that cheats on me because it has to do with me and my mental health. Like, I don't want to go through that for my own mental health where I'm constantly anxious and scared that if they don't answer the phone call and suddenly I go in a cycle of like, what are they really doing even though they were taking a nap or something? Why would I put myself through that? I don't want to. They cheat on me, goodbye for me. I'm a little like that too, you know? And I honor when people work through it. I know couples who have worked through infidelity who got stronger, better, all the things and i know people who left and got stronger better and all the things again it's there's no judgment of whether someone stays or goes i think the point is like what is the need and how would trust be repaired if we're talking about trust in general and we have the right to ask and the other person who fractured the trust has the right to say no it's just that neither should self-abandon to work through it if that makes sense yeah that does make sense. Do you have anything to add before we close? Is there anything that you feel like I didn't ask you? No, this has been a beautiful combo. I always love talking to you. Me too. And to you listening, I appreciate you trusting me. Well, one, I appreciate you trusting me with your audience who trusts you. And to you listening, I appreciate you trading your time to hear us talk because time is the only thing you can't get back. And I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful for you, <laughs> for the listeners. Um, where can people find you? So you can find me at Create the Love on pretty much every platform and also at createthelove.com. I got lots of courses that are in different avenues. I have a breakup recovery course that walks you through five weeks of getting you over the X and like bringing you to healing. I have one on if you're like, I don't know who I am. I have one called Rediscover Your Wholeness that's all about just self-discovery and stepping into your fucking power. And, I love that. Um, yeah, they're both big adventures. I have one called Crushing Codependency. That's all about just stepping out of codependency. One on boundaries. I mean, it's you got the gamut. You can go check it out at createthelove.com. I feel like the breakup course, should people should also take it if they want to break up with their old self and start dating their new self. So they should still take it so they can just figure out how to break up with all their bad habits, the person that they used to be that they don't no longer want to be that person. Amen. So they should take it too. I agree. Amen. 
Amazing. Well, also, you guys, tune into the episode that I have with Mark. I think it's about to come out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, thank you so much again for coming on. Um, I hope you guys have a beautiful day. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Definitely make sure to follow him on Create the Love and make sure to check out his podcast, subscribe, and make sure to also sign up for his courses if you want to. And, yeah, I love you guys. Have a beautiful day. Bye. While we were taking a break, Mark just came to a complete discovery apparently the pattern that i've been repeating in my life has not been a pattern that i've been dating men like my father who are emotionally unavailable eventually as i've gotten older i've become my father emotionally unavailable and he just made a complete discovery that i shouldn't be looking at the pattern with my father it's time for me to start looking at the pattern with my mother yeah because often we hear you're just you end up in relationship with your opposite sex parent if you're heterosexual that's not actually true we tend to be attracted to people who wound us in a similar way as the parent who wounded us the most so a good way to figure out what that is is we might ask ourselves what need did i have most as a child that didn't get met And that can be feeling prioritized, feeling loved, feeling safe, feeling important. But it can also be having space, like space to actually be myself, space to breathe, space to... And what I was just wanting to reflect to you was that if we're running from emotion, if we're running from people who have lots of emotion or needs, it's usually because as kids, we had to caretake someone's needs we felt responsible for someone's needs and so closeness means i'm gonna have to take care of you again i don't want to fucking take care of you so our body goes uh shuts down and withdraws and wants to run what we need to do actually is just explore our relationship to the person that we were actually responsible for that can also be little brothers and sisters that we had to take care of it could be a parent with a chronic illness or a kid a, a sibling with a chronic illness it could be an alcoholic parent an abusive parent, a narcissistic parent, an angry parent. It's people that we felt like we had to oscillate around and try to take care of them. So if we get close to people who have undealt with emotion, especially emotion that requires validation, it's not clean emotion then. It's not actual clean vulnerability. If we get around them, our nervous system recognizes it and is like, peace out, Brussels sprouts. I want nothing to do with that. But then with my mother, she was showing me like all the love. And obviously I looked at it as weakness. Because the love that they're showing us is not regulated in that they are not controlling their own emotion. And maybe they're going through a lot in their life. Again, none of this is a judgment of what the parent's experiencing. It's that they then often use their child to regulate. And you see this a lot when people are best friends with a parent. Like best friends, there's no line or boundary between parent yeah, and child. Yeah, that's always weird when I see that. Again, nothing wrong because we can be best friends with a parent. Like I would consider my father and mother good friends, you know, very good friends. At this age, but at this and, age, not when you're a child. Yeah, and, and like when moms and daughters, again, I'm just gender, gender speaking to this combination, when they're like college friends, like that kind of relationship, it's like, there's not a delineation of the generation and the need for the parent to actually model adult behavior. 
Man, like this can show up in so many different ways. So I just want to be mindful of that because I'm sure for you listening, if you're a mom, you're like, well, fuck this. I'm best friends with my daughter or you're best friends with your mom. It can be very complex. So I just want to know there's this might not be true for you. And that's the beauty of discernment is you can go, that doesn't feel true for me. And if there's a part of you that's kind of pissed off, then I would be like, ooh, maybe just look at it a little bit. Get some more information. If you look up the mother wound and learn more about it, there's a lot of really good information on the mother wound.